0: This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries Michigan. Today I would like to pick back up where we left off with the 100th legislature. We're now in the 101st legislature studying the book of Hebrews. And the section we're going to be looking at today is one of those sections that you sometimes encounter when you're reading the Bible that is really unfamiliar territory. You're wondering what on earth is this material trying to tell me because it is Not something we deal with very often, and it is dealing with some subject matter that we're not familiar with. But if we study it and if we explore it, it will have some very wonderful and rich things to yield for our study and the effort that we put in to try to determine what it is God's trying to say to us through these passages that are not as familiar as some others that we know about in the Bible. And the overall theme, of course, of the book of Hebrews is a writer who lives outside of the territory of Judea is writing a letter to Jewish believers who live inside the Roman province of Palestine and who live in the territory that is known as Judea, which is just south of Jerusalem, that are undergoing persecution basically from their fellow Jews who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they are giving them a hard time because they do believe it and have been proclaiming that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead and have identified themselves with him. Whereas the larger majority of the Jews at that time, and even to this very day, do not do so. I do have some friends who are Jewish and are devout believers in Jesus, and they have been a blessing to my life. So I want us to pick up in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and we're going to look at some material that gives us sort of a cosmic view of what Jesus did in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. It has a sweep that touches not only life on earth, but it also extends all the way into heaven itself. And it reveals to us some information that is mentioned in the Old Testament, but now is all brought into sharp focus about just how incredible The ministry was that Jesus performed in living his perfect life and then dying on the cross for the sins of man. But then it turns out it was also because of the pollution of sin across the cosmos and entering even into heaven itself. What a great cosmic redemption it was. We pick up in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and we read these words. And according to the law, that is the law of Moses, One may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So under the Mosaic Code, there were a number of sacrifices that could be offered for various kinds of transgressions and errors that people made, and there were various kinds of offerings that could be presented before God that would bring about atonement or covering for those particular transgressions and people who believed God were the ones who went and were faithful to this sacrificial system. There was also the observance of Passover, and there was also the observance of a national day of atonement called Yom Kippur, where once a year the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation for one year, but it had to be repeated year after year after year. And what the writer is going to be pointing out here is that Because Jesus Christ is God in human form, his death for the sin of man and his death also cleansing sin eventually from the cosmos was of a greater magnitude than any possible animal sacrifice could ever be and does not need to be repeated. It is a one-time cataclysmic event which changed all human history. In matter of fact, it has changed human history. The world is completely different after Christ came than it was before. Jesus is a big turning point of history. But one of the things that was clear under the Mosaic code was that sin caused death and that sin had to be atoned for. Verse 23, therefore it was necessary, if it was necessary, for the copies of the things in heavens to be cleansed with these, if it was necessary for the human tabernacle and the human temple that existed to be cleansed with blood that the heavenly things in themselves the taint of sin on heaven would have to be cleansed with something more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats and that blood of course would have been the blood of jesus himself for christ or the messiah did not enter a holy place made with hands a mere copy of the true one but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us Nor, verse 25, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Okay, here's what happened. We are told in the Bible that the rebellion of Satan prior to the creation of the cosmos and the planet upon which we now live ever happened before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 ever happened. Prior to that, in the heavenly places where God dwelt, God had created angels, and for a period of time, he had given those angels the power of contrary choice. And the lead angel, the anointed cherub that covered, who would later be known as Satan or Lucifer, led a rebellion. He became vain. He became full of pride and wanted to take over God's place. He was of such perfect nature that he thought, well, I can take over God's place. I can be God. And there was a great rebellion in heaven, and we're told about that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, and also in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. And also in the book of Job, in chapter 4, verse 18, chapter 15, verse 15, and chapter 25, verse 5, it was revealed to us that the heavens themselves weren't clean in the sense that sin had touched, or rebellion against God had touched even the heavens themselves. So there's something that needed to be atoned for even in the heavenly sanctuary. There's a holy of holies in heaven where adoration of God was done by the angelic order and also where adoration of God was done in the consciousness that will be be done in that new Jerusalem in the future. But atonement needed to be made for that. And that's one of the reasons that the Messiah was going to come live a perfect life, die for the sins of mankind. But now we find out it was also to remove the taint of rebellion against God reaching all the way into heaven itself. We're also told by these verses, as well as verses in the Old Testament, that the earthly tabernacle, like the tent of meeting that Moses put up in the wilderness, and then later, the temple that was built by Solomon and occupied for a while, was a model of the one in heaven. And the various ceremonies surrounding that temple were also types of or sort of demonstrations of the kinds of things that transpired that would be necessary for the atonement of heaven which would be of course the coming of the messiah to redeem mankind from sin and when the high priest once a year entered the holy of holies to make atonement for the sin of the people before he went in He burned a special incense on the altar of incense which stood in front of a veil or a curtain which separated the outer part of the tabernacle called the holy place from the inner part called the holy of holies. Inside the holy of holies, before the Babylonians destroyed the temple in 586 BC, inside that holy of holies, there was an ark. There was a box covered with gold and on top were two cherubim covered in gold that had been carried about in the wilderness. And, of course, the plate was gold. And inside that box was a copy of the Ten Commandments, some other things, but basically a copy of the Ten Commandments. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in with a kind of a veil of smoke, because we were also told that in that area, which would have been pitch dark, there was a a light, a glow. And it's called, the theologians call it the Shekinah Glory. And so the high priest would be sort of veiled from that glow, from that glory, when he came in to pour blood on the top of the mercy seat to make an atonement, to make a covering for the sins of the people, a symbolic act that he was partially veiled by this, for lack of a better term, holy smoke and the special incense. And then he would go out and announce to the people that it is finished, that the sins of the nation had been atoned for for a year. But then he would have to come back the next year and do it all over again. And this One of the things the writer of Hebrews refers to, this thing had to be repeated because the blood of animals could never really fully take away the contagion of sin, the consequences of sin. And verse 24 says that that's when Christ entered heaven. He didn't enter a copy, but the real place. And he entered into the presence of God. He he saw God face to face. There was nothing between him and God. Nor was it that he would offer himself often. He wasn't going to repeat this sacrifice as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Jesus had died once for all sin on the cross. And when he came to heaven, that fulfillment of the will of God and that fulfilling of the law of God was sufficient to atone for all who would believe in him. And also it was sufficient to remove the rebellion of Satan because what Satan had started which had resulted in the sin of man and has resulted in all the misery that has come because of sin and its rebellion against God. All of that was removed and undone by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In verse 26, he goes on to say Christ's sacrifice was just one time. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. If that one sacrifice couldn't get the job done, then like the high priest had to sacrifice Year after year, then that would have had to gone on uh, at the beginning of creation, but that wasn't the case. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been made manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, Jesus came in before the very presence of God and presented to God the fact that he had given his life for the sin of man, had brought with him some of the blood of of the sacrifice, and... That blood cleanses us who believe in him from sin. And it also was used to remove the rebellion of Satan's taint of sin from the heavenly sanctuary. And it was in the fullness of time. That's an interesting phrase. Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to carry out atonement. And so what that means is, is that God had prepared the world through a succession of events for that very moment when he would make it all clear as to what everything had been pointing to and the supreme revelation of god to us is in the course in the person and work of jesus christ god became a human being through the miracle of the virgin birth really the virgin conception god was his father mary was his mother jesus was a real human being he lived under the rules that he himself had posed upon us, not only as a regular human being, but also as a Jewish man. And Jesus is the only man that ever lived, and he is the only Jewish man that ever lived that never sinned in thought, word, or deed. And so Jesus was perfectly obedient. Then he went and willingly gave his life for our life in order that if we would believe in him, then his atonement, his death, because he is the God-man would be more than sufficient, would totally remove the taint of sin from us. All we had to do was believe in him and trust him. And so that happened at the very precise moment in history when mankind would be ready to understand it. And it is a, an event in time, space, history that changed everything in the universe. Up to Christ, the universe is on its way to absolute termination and destruction. After Christ, the universe is now on its way to absolute Redemption and reversal of all of the awful consequences that sin has caused. Christ has begun a victory march that will not end until we get to the final two chapters of the book of Revelation, in which there is a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. The Creator, who is Jesus, is also the Re-creator. That's what He put into motion when He rose from the dead after His death on the cross. It's an incredible act of grace of God on our behalf. I want to pick it up in verse 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Christ came into the world in the fullness of time and the consummation of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That sacrifice has been accepted. When he comes back, it will have no, no reference to sin. He will be coming back to restore believing mankind and the future into the perfect plan of God. Now, there's a whole lot more history that is going to happen from where we are now. There's a, a number of, of things that God will do in the future. There is yet to be. I believe a kingdom age, there is yet, and then beyond that there is to be a new heaven and a new earth and an eternity. The general rule is this it is appointed for men to die once, and after that, sometime in the future after that, there will come a judgment. The choices we make in the life we live on earth prior to our death determine what our eternal destiny will be. We have a period of time that we're to be here on earth for some it's short, for some it's it's longer. But during that period of time, we have a choice to make. Are we going to accept God's grace or are we not? There are tremendous theological discussions we can have about God's sovereignty and free will, etc., etc. But the point being is that's the general rule of things. There have been some exceptions to that rule. There have been some men who have died twice. They've died physically, but they've been resuscitated. In the Old Testament, we have some incidents of that. And also in the ministry of Jesus, we have some incidents of it. Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead. He also raised Lazarus from the dead. Both Lazarus and the other person and some others all subsequently died again. So there are some people out there who have died twice, so to speak, because they were brought back to life, lived a little bit longer, and then subsequently died again. There have been some people who have never died. For example, Enoch and Elijah. Enoch was a man who was taken to heaven without dying prior to the flood of Noah. And then Elijah was a, an Old Testament prophet who was taken to heaven without dying. There's going to be a, a future generation of believers who will be here at what we call the rapture that the coming of Christ for his people. There'll be a resurrection of the dead and a rapture, resurrection of dead uh, believers' bodies and a rapture of, of those who are of us who are still alive, those who are still alive, to be caught up with the, the Lord in the air. That's discussed in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he discusses the resurrected body. So there is going to be not only the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of our sin and future in heaven and eternity. It also involves the eventual resurrection of our bodies into a perfect body that we will inhabit forever that will be continually renewed in the new heaven and the new earth by the various things that God will put into place for that to happen. But when that is done, it will be apart from sin. In those future lives, we will be sinless. And so it is during this life that we make those decisions. So it's worth it to stay true to the Lord during your earthly pilgrimage. And it is also instructive to know that people in the past who were believers had their struggles with persecution, with rejection, and with discouragement. But we also are assured from the Bible that if we are faithful to the Lord, that there will be a great blessing for us. It would be enough just to be able to die and go to heaven. And that, of course, is secured by the finished work of Christ in dying for our sins. But God wants to give us more. And how he can add more to what that would be, I don't know. But the Bible promises that that's the way it will be. You cannot... Out give God. You cannot understand how God can bless beyond any capacity that we have to understand it because he can and he will. And there is a reward and a blessing for those who will indeed appropriate that grace for their lives. May this be an encouragement to you. Discouragement will come, but God is with you every step of the way. And there's a great blessing that comes when we are faithful and trust him even in difficult times. May God richly bless you.